Welcome to The Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay in Baltimore. Welcome to Reality Asserts Itself. We're continuing our series of interviews evaluating the presidency of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Friday, November 22nd, it's the 50th anniversary of his assassination. Kennedy came to power in one of the most dangerous decades of the 20th century. Perhaps the world came closest to annihilating itself during his time in office. Now joining us to talk about Kennedy is Glenn Ford. Glenn is the executive editor of Black Agenda Report. He was the founder and host of America's Black Forum, the first nationally syndicated black news interview show on commercial television. He's also the author of The Big Lie, an analysis of U.S. media coverage of the Granada invasion. Thanks very much for joining us again, Glenn. Thanks for the invitation, Paul. So paint a picture, in your view, of the world as Kennedy campaigns and becomes president. Well, you know, it's generally understood that uh, 1960 is the year uh, that blacks, uh, that the Democratic Party uh, got a lock on the black vote. Uh, many people seem to think that happened just by magic uh, because of the Kennedy charm or because the Kennedys were such uh, quintessential liberals. And of course, they were not. But it's much more, more complicated uh, than uh, that. Uh, although the black vote had been leaning Democratic in those places where blacks could vote since Roosevelt's era, many blacks were still uh, Republicans, and the Democratic Party was still weighted down uh, with the Dixiecrats, the uh, racist Democrats from the South. And in 1952 and 1956, uh, when Adlai Stevenson was running for president uh, as, the, as the Democrat, uh, that didn't change. And the National Party did not distance itself from an increasingly uh, vocal and racist uh, and uh, 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 white power structure down there. Uh, in 1957, uh, with the desegregation of Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, something really extraordinary happened. Uh, crowds of thousands of white folks, many of them uh, women, uh, tried to block the integration of the school. They screamed, they hollered, they threatened, they cursed, and all of that was done in front of national television cameras. A very, very embarrassing situation for the President of the United States, who was trying to uh, project uh, the U.S. Uh, in opposition to Soviet competition uh, as being such a liberal uh, place uh, to live and uh, the home of democracy and uh, the land of the brave and such. And it was very embarrassing. So Eisenhower sent in troops to Little Rock in 1957. And this had a tremendous impact on black public opinion because this was the first time since Reconstruction that the federal government had intervened on the side of black people. Eisenhower's uh, stock went up in black America sky high. And so as we move into the 1960 presidential election, there is great fear among the Democrats who know it's going to be a very tight race that Richard Nixon, Eisenhower's vice president, now hitting the ticket, may inherit some of that tremendous goodwill that Eisenhower got uh, because of his intervention in Little Rock uh, in 1957. And so for the first time, we have a real competition between the two political parties 
over the black vote. That had actually never occurred in the history of the United States. And that's the stage uh, that's set in 1960. This is the reason, the compelling uh, reason, uh, that JFK and his brother, RFK, uh, intervened directly right before uh, the November 1960 election uh, to volunteer whatever assistance they could to Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, who was in prison in Reedsville, Georgia, and facing the possibility of significant uh, time in jail. And that intervention is what tipped the scales of the black vote to Kennedy and uh, away from Richard Nixon, who was thought to uh, be uh, the possible inheritor of Eisenhower's goodwill in the community. So that's how that saga began between blacks and white folk, uh, blacks and uh, Kennedy. Well, let's keep pursuing that path uh, before we talk about some of the other issues. Uh, you said early on in this interview that they were not the, the liberals that people took them for. Uh, certainly this this issue of, of their attitude towards the civil rights movement, they get a lot, they, meaning JFK and RFK, get a lot of credit towards promoting this and being sort of the beginning of support for the civil rights movement and, and the legislation that then came under Johnson. And they get, basically, is they're the beginning of the sort of modern version of Democratic Party liberalism. Uh, you don't buy that. No, I don't buy that. And the literature actually shows that both Kennedy brothers uh, saw the civil rights movement as a nuisance at best. Uh, remember, the, uh, the FBI's uh, spy campaign against Martin Luther King uh, began under Robert Kennedy's watch. He was aware of it, and as tight as those two brothers were, they talked about everything together, uh, that we can assume that John Kennedy was also aware that the FBI was not only spying on Martin Luther King, but was trying uh, to destroy his reputation, that the FBI had King in uh, its sites. The March on Washington, uh, Kennedy considered a kind of a victory for himself. Uh, the, the literature, at any rate, says that uh, they considered it a good example of managed protest and that they, they negotiated with the leaders of the civil rights movement to keep the, the protest contained. What is that story? And it was a high-profile management, uh, uh, so high a profile management uh, that uh, Malcolm X called it the farce on Washington and uh, railed constantly against uh, those uh, big six leaders, as he called the uh, civil rights pantheon of the time, uh, allowing themselves to be manipulated by uh, the white Democrat in the White House and allowing Kennedy to put uh, cream in the coffee, as uh, Malcolm used to put it. Whatever one judges their intent or motivation, uh, were there some positive accomplishments of the Kennedy administration in terms of either civil rights or social equality legislation? Well, he did pass a, a modest, uh, I believe it was by executive uh, order, uh, uh, update of existing very modest uh, uh, civil rights uh, apparatus. Uh, but no, nothing substantial. Uh, he's usually credited uh, with creating uh, the tone of uh, cooperation, uh, of, of non-hostility. Uh, that would uh, allow the civil uh, rights forces uh, to organize without the federal government being a big obstacle so that the uh, effort could be concentrated on uh, the real uh, opposition uh, down south. 
So Kennedy did order, once he was president, troops to go in and confront George Wallace. Uh, and, and as you say, Eisenhower did it in 57. Kennedy did the same thing and perhaps upped the, up the game on that in terms of federal intervention, starting to enforce uh, federal law in, in racist southern states. Do you not give him some credit for that? And, did that, and what was the effect of that on, in terms of the black vote and the Democratic Party? Well, I don't consider that to be a Kennedy initiative. That was a response uh, to the massive resistance personified by George Wallace in the South. And if he had failed to do that, uh, he would have failed the Eisenhower uh, test and lost great uh, face and his stature as as a chief executive uh, would have deteriorated. So I don't consider that to be an initiative, a civil rights initiative uh, by President Kennedy. But doesn't he then have, have to really confront and and perhaps threaten really the split of the Democratic Party and because he's going against, as you say, the Dixiecrats of his own party in doing this. And the Dixiecrats are pushing for, uh, are calling his bluff on that too. They're going for the brink. They're playing chicken. They know uh, how important the uh, Southern uh, delegations in Congress uh, have been to the Democratic uh, Party. They want to see who's going to blink first. And so in sending the troops, doesn't he show some backbone and being, being willing to defy a section of his own party? But in, in sending the troops, uh, he uh, resisted uh, any urge to collapse in front of, uh, in, in the face of, of this massive resistance uh, by the racists down south. So is that a is that a yes? <laughs> you see, you see, I'm 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 resistant uh, to giving Kennedy some credit here that I don't think uh, is is due in that it was not an initiative by him. Uh, these two guys, I'm talking about the two Kennedy brothers, were pulled kicking and screaming into this confrontation uh, with uh, entrenched. Uh, uh, white supremacist power in the Democratic Party in the South. They did not relish going up against it. They only did so uh, when they were challenged uh, in ways uh, that they could not afford to back down from. They resented, and uh, all of the literature shows this to be true, they resented uh, the civil rights movement uh, for putting them at loggerheads with forces in the Democratic Party that they did not feel uh, they, they should antagonize. Now, it's a little bit of a, a segue, or, uh, but uh, after the death of President Kennedy, I've talked to people that knew Robert Kennedy, and, and they more or less agree with your analysis of the Kennedys during the Kennedy administration. But they say that Robert Kennedy, after the death of Jack, had a real change in, in his attitude towards these things and, and his commitment to civil rights, particularly, and, and similar issues in terms of social equality kind of changed, that he wasn't this hardcore, anti, pure anti-communist opportunist that some people say he was during, during the uh, administration. Do you see any evidence of that? Well, lots of people's attitudes uh, changed because the movement, this putting of massive numbers of people in motion, does change, tend to change people's outlooks. It tends uh, to change, if successful, uh, whole societies. And uh, Robert Kennedy wouldn't be the only one whose attitudes towards race were transformed uh, in the presence of a movement. So to some extent, the answer is yes to that. 
To some extent, the answer is yes for a whole bunch of white folks during that period. Right, which I guess is mostly to do with the rise of the civil rights movement. Yes. Right. So, Glenn, you must have been around 14, 15 when President Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, at the time of his election, there was a lot of euphoria that this was, it's, it's very Obama-esque when he was elected. Uh, there was this great hope of getting out of the Cold War and, and, and the, and the, the paralysis culturally and politically of the 1950s. Uh, were, did, were you, did you drink any Kennedy Kool-Aid as a kid? You were young. And, and then how did the assassination uh, affect your outlook and, and perhaps people you knew who were you know, either young or political? No, I was inoculated against the effects of such Kool-Aid, uh, largely by Malcolm. Uh, and in fact, I resented uh, the Kennedys. Uh, I resented them because so, there was so much love by so many black folks uh, after that initial introduction to the Kennedys when they uh, put those co uh, phone calls through uh, to assist Dr. Martin Luther King right before the 1960 election. Uh, such goodwill uh, accrued to them. Uh, because of that uh, association, well, I thought it was unhealthy, and I was only 11 years old. I thought it was unhealthy for black folks at that point in history uh, to be giving up so so much affection uh, to uh, untested, untried uh, uh, white politicians. Uh, later on, after uh, uh, both uh, of the Kennedys uh, were dead, I have to tell you that I resented going into folks houses in the neighborhood seemed like every other black household had that uh, that big uh, portrait uh, with uh, Martin Luther King uh, sandwiched, uh, bookended uh, by JFK and RFK. I've heard of homes that had pictures which was Jesus Christ, Martin Luther King, and JFK. Yeah, all kind of permutations of the same thing. Uh, and, and I used to get outraged uh, by seeing uh, Dr. King, uh, captured <laughs> on each side uh, by these uh, two Kennedy brothers. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I've never uh, drunk the Kool-Aid of Kennedy uh, love. And this Kennedy love had mostly to do with these interventions facing up to Wallace and that? Because as, as we talked just a little earlier, in terms of legislation and such, there really wasn't all that much. Right. The legislation had to await uh, President Johnson, uh, the Southerner. Uh, it did not emanate from uh, from Ke on Kennedy's watch, and he resisted uh, seeming to be out front uh, on these on these issues. Uh, he tried to charm his way through, and uh, successfully did. Yes, some some are still charmed. Okay, in part two of our interview with Glenn, we're going to look at foreign policy and Jack Kennedy, of course, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and and the issue of Vietnam and uh, leading up to his assassination. So please join us for the next part of Reality Asserts Itself with Glenn Ford on The Real News Network.